The End of the Line, Episode 21, Jenny. It's not mum, it's ma'am, as in calm. Lesson number one, basic training, saluting respect, proper conduct and acceptable behaviour within our culture. Looking back over my long Navy career, that question has always lurked under the surface. The one that translates as, not a mum, what's wrong with you? By choice, I've not had kids, but I have mothered hundreds of baby sailors and junior officers. The trainees I'm about to speak to today will expect me as a senior leader to tell them to work hard, play hard and be a good team member, but don't rock the boat. Well, sod that. Good boats are designed to survive rocking. Bad ones deserve to be sunk. We women have won many a battle for equality, but that ancient war still rages on. It's my duty now to keep up the good fight, started by all those other female firsts who paved the way for us. As the saying goes, we stand on the shoulders of giants. You could say us Navy types are like any family. We band together when the shit hits the fan, but ordinarily the old farts resist necessary change, while the young siblings compete to be the alpha sea dog. That became very clear to me during my own basic training. Approaching 30, I was unusual amongst my peers. Most were male and fresh from the classroom. All were too wrapped up in themselves to have any interest in me or anyone else. But then our chief selected me to be our class leader. But the blokes didn't take too kindly to that. As they saw it, training staff were being forced to meet new PC equality targets and I didn't really deserve the role or their respect. The girls were as bad, siding with their male classmates. My suggestion that we women should help, not hinder each other, fell on deaf ears. They believed that except when trying to hook a potential partner, you have to behave like one of the boys to be accepted in their world. I was like, come on, really? We're not a bunch of jealous cave bitches on heat here, fighting among ourselves to attract the best sperm to make babies with. I took it all on the chin and got on with proving myself by my ability. I refused to let others' expectation of my private life be a driver for me. But that first taste of leadership showed me that any position of authority brings with it a constant struggle to be accepted as I am and for what I can do. Isn't that the rub? As women, we often have to choose whether or not to play to the gallery to fit into our patriarchal world, military and civilian. On our passing out parade, I stood proud to attention in my immaculate uniform, recently updated to be more practical and the same as the men's. Visiting VIP senior officers are expected to show interest in graduating trainees by inspecting and chatting to a few. That day ours was a crusty old admiral. Our chief steered him to me as an easy target, oddball, saying, she's our oldest ever trainee, sir. And back then in the highest ranks, it always was a sir and never a ma'am only made the age limit by a day. 
The Admiral studied me from head to toe, nothing unusual in that, except his curled lip told me he wasn't looking for kit faults or fluff. He was noting my manly trousers and polished boots, instead of the usual skirt, stockings and feminine-heeled shoes of the past. Clearly he was resenting another loss of his chance to leer at the more girly eye candy of the past. The old bastard couldn't hide his disdain from me personally either. What on earth made you join up, at your age? As a junior, I was in no position to call him out on his passive-aggressive question. I just smiled and gave my usual response. (gasps) Madness, sir. (laughs) It's all just friendly banter, right? No. Not always. And I sure as shit wasn't laughing inside. What that question inferred, what it always infers for career women still of a childbearing age is, shouldn't you be at home bringing up babies by now? I'd expected some flack, of course, given dinosaurs still ruled the armed forces back then, as they did in most walks of life. I was one of the first seagoing women, and now that we were being allowed to serve on warships, living and working alongside our male counterparts, we now trained together too. It would have been ridiculous not to. Inevitably, the media was full of leaks from supposedly official sources, moaning about all this interfering PC codswallop that would weaken the military. To those men, and to be fair, many women at the time too, it was just plain wrong and unnatural. In truth, many simply feared change, or felt threatened by it. But a lot of people back then really did believe women were inferior, and a woman's place was still in the home. Things are far better these days, not least due to the increase of female role models in higher command and support from our more modern-thinking male allies. And yet there are still some who cling onto that over-opinionated sinking ship when it comes down to women and children first. Everyday sexism, or as it's termed these days, gender stereotyping, subliminal discrimination and unconscious bias, still undermines us. Every single day. Do you know it took 35 years of asking before women were allowed to wear long hair in a ponytail when out of the public eye? Coffin dodgers had clung to the pinned-up bun rule because... Traditions... No matter that it created an extra workplace hazard for us all. And don't get me started on how long female-specific body armour and safety kit for the front line was dismissed as unnecessary and not worth the extra cost. You see? In truth, bias is not always unconscious, is it? Sometimes it's absolutely deliberate. We've even given one aspect of it a cool new fun name. Mansplaining. A thing that's not cool and no fun at all for anyone on the receiving end. And what's with women resorting to the same thing, especially against other women? Unbelievable. Look, I get it. It takes time for a girl to learn she should aim to be a first-class woman and not a second-rate man. Sadly, some never do and lose sight of their authentic selves. And it is tough to stand up for yourself as a woman in a man's world, especially if you're made to feel you're somehow lacking. You develop a self-protect mechanism, justifying your life choices before you're even asked to. 
I continued to be singled out as odd as I climbed the promotion ladder. Then a few years later, I was selected to become an officer and went through that whole trainee passing out parade malarkey once more. And there it was again. At your age, woman, shouldn't you be at home raising sprogs by now? (sighs) It's never really gone away. At times I felt I could never win. As a leader, I'm expected to speak my mind, hold my ground and remain strong in authority. At the same time as a female, I'm supposed to conform to all those cultural expectations of what an appropriate woman is deemed to be. Supportive. Gentle. Nice. Submissive. But any strong-willed woman who takes no shit from anyone is often branded as bossy or a bully, and woe betide her if she appears to have chosen to have a career instead of babies. Then she's selfish, or a barren bitch. Really pisses me off that a man with the same attributes, making those same choices, is lauded for being confident and decisive and for loyal dedication to his career. Most women join the forces planning to enjoy a long career, and often do, but many leave far earlier than anticipated. Sure, in the same way as the men, some just don't enjoy the life or simply outgrow it and want change. Fair enough. Sadly, though, I've seen too many a good woman leave not because she wanted to, but because she was browbeaten into feeling she was letting the side down by not putting a relationship or family before her own dreams. This is not a military thing. It's social conditioning on a global scale. In pretty much every culture, people first categorise others by gender. Only after that is it race, age, class and so on. No matter how forward-thinking anyone believes they are, there's a deeply ingrained expectation, corporate and societal, that we women will give up our careers, or at least compromise them, to have babies and bring them up. And what's more, we will do so willingly, as that's surely our natural role and what we really want. I've had a great life since I first pulled on a uniform. But even now, when I'm too old to shove one out, that intrusive question, that leading and bloody demeaning question still lurks. It's just changed now from, why don't you want a family to... Why didn't you? Like I've somehow failed. The thing is, I am perfectly content to be a mature and highly successful career woman who never wanted kids. You don't need those to be a family. The forces are a family. The crew of a warship is a family. A couple can be a family. Even a single person with a pet or pot plants can be a fucking family. My partner is military too. We were honest from the start. Mutual respect, mutual expectation, perfect harmony. We've both seen too many couples tear each other apart after one has wrongly assumed the other would eventually change their minds about never wanting children. We're not selfishly childless. We are happily child-free. Of course. Unwanted inferences that I've somehow misused my body don't always come from a pity or judgmental stance. 
Sometimes there's obvious envy of my continued personal freedom or professional progress. But my having the luxury of rank and experience now means I can reply with, Opinions are like arseholes. Everybody's got one. And if I wanted your opinion, I'd give it to you. (laughs) But it really gets on my tits when a modern youngster asks that same old biased kidspectation question. Then I'm all, for fuck's sake. Lesson number one, basic training, respect, proper conduct and acceptable behaviour. What makes you think you have the right to question anyone else's life choices? Get a grip. Now, when I'm the senior officer inspecting trainees on parade and giving the graduating class speech, like I am today, I champion the cause by telling them, We must all be more vigilant as to how the things we say may be received before we say them, no matter how well meant. I remind them that we all stand on the shoulders of those giants who fought the good fight to keep steering our family forward and never astern. And when we become those giants... We must reach back to help those following in our wake and hoist them up beside us. I wish them all, whatever gender or background, fair winds and calm seas in their new professional and personal lives. But then I also challenge them to remember. Always be the captain of your own ship. Watch out for the fake guiding lights diverting you onto those rocks to steal your dreams and leave you rudderless or wrecked. So yes, until the day I leave my Navy family, it's mum, not mum. It never will be mum. And that's exactly how I like it. You say this is the end of the line. Jenny was played by Helen Belbin. The episode was written by Dee Chilton and directed by Mark Haywood. Casting by Sydney Aldridge. Production support by Lynn McConway. Music by Daisy Chute and Kerry-Anne from The Herd Collective. The episode was recorded at The Sound Company in London and edited by Mitchell Harris. The End of the Line is an Ink Jockey production. This is not the end of my line Didn't you know that I'm the one with the time It's not the end of the line